Hey everybody, it's Jeremy again. We have something very different for you on the podcast today. It's actually a recording from a radio broadcast from back in June. This is from Key Radio. Key Radio is based out of Provo, Utah. I've had a connection with them ever since I've been in Utah, and I'm frequently a guest on their morning show. And the regular morning show hosts were out for a week back at the start of June, and they asked me to fill in along with another pastor in the Valley. So we were guest co-hosting for a week, and we talked about a variety of things that week. But on the final day we recorded, uh, we talked about prayer. The subject for the day was prayer. And when we were done, I looked at him and I said, I think that's the best show I've ever been a part of on Key Radio. Uh, I just thought it was so enriching and encouraging. Uh, So I I hope that's true. We're about to find out because we're sharing it with you now, and we'd love to hear your feedback. But uh, this episode, we talk about what prayer is, why it's important that we pray, how prayer can even make sense because of who God is and who we are. I hope you enjoy it. This is my conversation with Pastor Timothy O'Day. He's a pastor in Lehigh, Utah, and I just want you to be encouraged today. May the Lord bless you. Broadcasting live from downtown Provo, Utah, it's the Key Radio Morning Show. Filling in for Mike and Heather are pastors Timothy O'Day and Jeremy Howard. Good morning from Provo. You came from the north. Came from the north. Because you live in Lehigh. Live in Lehigh. That's correct. How was traffic for you? It was heavier this morning. I yeah. came in a little bit later, as you noticed. Yeah. Well, I was noticing, um, yeah, as I was coming in from the south, the southbound traffic was very heavy. And then right as I exited onto Center Street in Provo from the south, right where that exit is, a whole bunch of brake lights on the interstate. Yeah. I just barely missed a traffic jam. So Yes, you did, because I was... Coming from the north, I actually saw that traffic jam Okay, from the southbound traffic, yeah. So yeah, if you're traveling on I-15 today, especially if you're going north, you better watch out. And we've got Chopper Dave in the skies. Chopper Dave, how does it look? <laughs> it's uh, There's a lot of traffic out here, guys. All right. It's a, it's a new, new feature on Key Radio. Yes. We, we got a, we, they bought a chopper. That's amazing. <laughs> we also have Dave, apparently. <laughs> Dave, and Dave, he's a full, full-time employee. <laughs> okay, that none of that is real. I know the special effects were very convincing, but that wasn't real. Uh, and that's not what we're talking about today. I mean, it can be. We it, can just switch topics and do... We could start a chopper fundraiser. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's what Mike and Heather need here. A chopper to make observations over the city. Yeah, That's what they would want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, today we're talking about something else. How do we want to get going this morning here, Timothy? Well, uh, we want to talk about prayer. Yeah. But this is going to be a, a topic that I think, uh, you know, I don't, we, I don't think we just want to slide over the top mm-hmm. here. We, we want to go deeper and not just give, well, let me say it like this. So much of the time, whenever we talk about prayer as Christians, we assume we know what we're talking about. Mm. Right. So mm-hmm. if somebody says, are you praying about that? Uh, I hear that, but, but let me just, let me insert a gibberish word. Because I think this could be what people hear sometimes. Like we could say, are you, um, I, and now I can't think of a gibberish word, are you gibberishing that? You know, it's like, mm. oh, like it means basically the same thing to people, I think, sometimes. Mm. Because it's, it's become a word that's lost its meaning so much. 
And since we don't understand what prayer is, um, we oftentimes think the solution to prayerlessness in our lives, because we all, all Christians know we need to pray. Yeah. We think that the solution to prayer in our lives is just getting some new tips. Mm-hmm. So I need a prayer journal. I need to get uh, maybe uh, an app on my phone that sends me reminders and stuff like that. But the problem really isn't always necessarily just tips on how to pray better. We actually need to understand what prayer is in the first place. Mm-hmm. And to understand what prayer is in the first place, I think we also need to understand some essentials about who God is mm-hmm. in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, if we understand more about the character and nature of God, we are going to understand more about what our approach should be to prayer, uh, what our mindset should be. I, I, you know, an, an easy thing to shoot down from the get-go is the idea that God is a genie, and he, get, he grants you wishes. And right. certainly there are some people out there who approach God that way in prayer. I would venture to say many don't. I, I think many mm-hmm. probably have an idea that God's in charge here. He's not beholden to whatever we want. Yes, and if you didn't know that, that's news to you. There you go. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we don't approach God with this idea of, okay, he uh, is there to make me happy and give me what I want, so I'm going to tell him that today I would like this, this, and this, and then he's going to do it. Um, most people know that's not true because they live life and realize, oh, right. he, he doesn't do what we tell him to do all the time yeah. because uh, he's in charge, not us. If he is a genie, he's a really terrible genie. Yeah. And if that's the standard that we're going by. Right. So... Um, if that's not how we approach prayer, then how should we approach prayer? How should we understand our relationship to God, God's relationship to his creation, and how he operates in that creation? And if we want to just throw out some some words that we've created in theology, I say we, I mean the Christian community, has these words that we hold to that describe the nature of God as Scripture presents it, um, we could highlight some important ones, like the immutability of God. Right. You want to... You want to go with the basic definition of immutability? Yeah, but we'll keep it really basic. God doesn't change. God is always the same. That's what we mean by immutable. Yes. So he, he's going to always be who he has always been. So we can think of you know how God reveals himself to Moses um, in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Um, when, when Moses uh, encounters the burning bush and God tells him to go to Israel and then tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and he's to lead Israel out, Moses' question is, well, who, yeah. if they ask me who sent me, who should I tell them sent me? Like, hmm. who is this God? And the answer is, I am. I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. Hmm. This is to be my name to you. And, and, and why that is so striking, right? Because, I mean, yes, on the surface, we'd say that's a really unusual name, but it's also revealing just who God is in his nature right. to us. It's not, uh, I mean, because he, he's saying that I am who I am, I was who I was, and I will be who I will be, meaning that there's this pre-existence to God, um, and even, even, even our words kind of fail when we have to talk about God because he's so different from yes. the rest of creation, that when yes. we say pre-existence, I don't just mean like, well, he was there before the other stuff, but then he also came into being himself. What that, what that expression is saying, I am who I am, is I exist as I exist, I've always existed. He is, we could say, in other words, existence itself Mm -hmm. that all things flow from him come from him and so he's the unchanging one um that uh this also speaks to you know if we want to throw in some other terms um well i don't know if i'm 
We could say a Sadie, but we'll, we, can, we, can, yeah. we can we can use. I think he's, he's the uncreated. Yeah, one. the uncreated one. The, the uncreated one. The the one that is not dependent on anybody else. He's the independent one where we're dependent on him. Yes, because we don't exist from ourselves. He is who he is. Yes, right? and that having that very fundamental creator and creature distinction is critical to understanding not only prayer but anything that pertains to our relationship with God. It's Absolutely. there. There is a divide. He is holy, other, and of course we mean H O L Y. He is holy, mm-hmm. but he's also holy, other in the W H O L L Y sense that he is completely, thoroughly, utterly different than his creatures. Yes. In that he is independent, we are dependent. He is totally infinite, and we are absolutely finite. Mm-hmm. Um, huge distinction. So immutability is in his eternality, in his existence that is outside of time and space mm-hmm. and yes. matter. Man, he does could, not change. We could spend the whole day just talking about yeah. those things, right? Yes. Because, because that, I mean, that just strikes us as so different. I mean, you notice all these words that we have to use, like, we're having to put these negative words on God just say yeah. he's not like us. Yes. He's not like us. We could say that all day. God is not like you. He's not just a bigger, better version of you. He's different yes. than you. And another one of those words is impassibility. And this one really can trip people up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I want to read a quote, uh, a definition that's given for impassibility from Theopedia. I like using Theopedia. It was created by... Uh, Formerly Utah's own Aaron Shafawaloff. Aaron Shafawaloff really? is back at Midwestern Seminary right now in Kansas City, and uh, he, Lord willing, he'll be back in Utah in a few years. But uh, the definition for the impassibility of God found here is that God is not subject to suffering, pain, or the ebb and flow of involuntary passions. In the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith, God is without body, parts, or passions. Mm-hmm. He is immutable. So as we think about the um, immutability that God doesn't change, there's also an aspect that it's really implied from that. Because God doesn't change, he also doesn't have passions in the sense that his creatures have passions. Mm -hmm. He's not subject to the ebb and flow of involuntary passions. He's not subject to suffering or pain. Yeah. Now that's wild to think about. It is. Because we we are so defined by that in many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing that, you know, I can go home and if I go home and I find that my daughter is drawing on the wall, like I am subject to the ebb of flow of of involuntary passions Uh at that moment. It's coming on me. And, but that's not who God is. God is not surprised by anything. Mm -hmm. And what happens over the, what happens in that moment, right? When I walk in and I see my daughter drawing on the wall, um, a couple of things are going to happen to me. I'm going to change right in my actions and my tone of voice probably. But then hopefully, too, I'm also going to change later, you know, if I overreact. And through repentance, I'm going to have to repent. And, and then maybe the Lord is going to use that as a sanctifying moment in my life to actually make me more like Jesus Christ. Yes. And less like the fallen man that I am. Yes. So I am not immutable. I do change. And I'm not impassable. I have this ebb and flow of passion going through me that God does use to actually change me to make me more like Christ. But so, Jeremy, let me let me throw out a couple of questions here about impassibility that maybe you can. T- so what I hear that I hear impassibility, some people hear impassibility and they think, wait, so are you saying then that God is just this cold, stoic being who is totally unfeeling toward me? Because when you say he doesn't have passions like that, that that's kind of what it sounds like. Is yeah. that true? Right. Um, so that, of course, isn't true. Our experience with God is one of a loving father. <laughs> and as we 
describe God in that way, that actually rules out the possibility of him being cold, stone, like a like a false god, like an mm-hmm. idol who right. just sits there with no feeling whatsoever. I mean, God does express himself emotively. Uh, we do see him singing over mm-hmm. his people. We see God um, having joy. We see God relating to us um, in so many ways, of course, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, uh, how that is ultimately manifested. However, his... His emotions that we perceive <laughs> uh, through Scripture, through our experience with God, um, are not the result of us manipulating Him in any way. Mm-hmm. They're not the result of uh, us causing Him to be caught off guard by something and Him having an involuntary response. We can't help but have an involuntary response, whereas God could never even have an involuntary response because He is outside of time and space and matter, because He's the beginning and the end, because time... He doesn't even exist in time, so he's already in the future. There's nothing that catches him off guard. I mean, this is just an amazing existence that we can't fully comprehend. We can only understand what has been revealed to us and do our best to summarize it in our limited language. And and we have these passages like uh, Numbers 23, 1 Samuel 15, God is not a man that he should change his mind. Mm -hmm. God is not a man that he should repent. Uh, In the book of Romans, let God be found true and every man a liar. We have these types of verses that that speak to his nature in these areas, and and many of those passages um, are debated. I've actually done some debate myself. You can check out a debate from earlier this year with that I had with an open theist, Will Duffy. If you just go to YouTube and just search Jeremy Howard, Will Duffy debate, you'll see our our conversation about that, where it's on this very subject: Is God unchanging? Is He impassable? Mm. Uh, it's a very important conversation. Yeah, two things you said there that. I- that uh, are just so important, right? That this timelessness of God, his eternality. Um, and what I think I heard somebody say once, and I found this really helpful to say, God is not subject to time like we are because God, uh, time is one of God's creatures. Yeah. Like he, it's his. Yeah. So it's not over him. It's not, it's not changing him. Um, he's not bound by he's it. He's not bound by it. Like it's one of his creatures that he can do that. And then also think about impassibility, right? We, we, um, I think one good way of, of saying it is this, that God lacks in nothing. Mm-hmm. He lacks in nothing. So I, I lack, you lack, we're, we're both limited, but he's unlimited. Uh, he's infinite in his being. So since there's nothing that we can add to God, there's no change that can come to God, right? Then it's, it's um, I think sometimes when people hear impassibility, they think, oh, God is this stoic kind of being. Yeah. Um, or um, he's like a, like a rock. Um, Carl Truman says, you know, like God is not like a rock though. Um, we're closer to being like a rock than God is like a rock. A rock has nothing, no emotions whatsoever. But God is so full of life, mm-hmm. so full of love, that there's actually no experience that can add to his love. Yeah. It's that full. Where I can go through experiences mm-hmm. where, you know, <clears throat> like you could tell me something going on in your life and my love would grow for you. Mm-hmm. That can't happen with God because yeah. he's so full. And. Going back to you know the debate I had with this open theist, and, and open theists believe that God is bound by time, that God is absolutely within time, and he doesn't know the future because he's limited um, by time just as we are. Mm-hmm. And the, the question isn't, is God in time or not? Because God is so transcendent that he is both outside of time and inside of time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not an either-or proposition. That's a false dichotomy. Is God outside of time or is he inside of time? Well, God is so amazing that he's both. The Christian worldview is the only worldview that teaches that God 
is both transcendent and imminent, meaning mm. he is both outside and over, and he is both, and he's within. Yeah. He's outside and over and within at the same time. There's a Martin Luther quote that I love in my systematic theology class we share it that talks about how God is bigger than the universe itself, and yet at the same time he's smaller than every grain of sand. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, if that doesn't expand your view of God, then you're, you're just not picking up on this, because mm-hmm. that is a God who is just so beyond what we are. Yeah. Um, that he is worthy of worship, truly. Mm-hmm. And, and this applies not just to his relationship with time, but his relationship um, to, you know, as we think about his emotions and, and the way that um, we understand him as a God who is loving and a God who is uh, joyful and a God who has wrath, those things, where he's both impassable and yet at the same time he is with us in time and space, mm-hmm. revealing himself as such. So, so much of this is a both and because God is that big. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, you said earlier, you're talking about the importance of that uh, creator-creature distinction. But we also, and this what you said is so good because it's it's warning us, don't take that too far to say, well, there's creation and then there's a creator and he does not interact. He, he Because he does interact with yeah, creation. Right. He's very active in his creation. It's not a distinction that says, well, there's this one one side we have creatures and they do their thing, and then there's God. He's on the other side. He does his thing, yeah. but he's very active. He is imminent in his creation. Makes me think of the scriptures. Our God is not a God who's far off, mm-hmm. but he's close at hand. Yes. Uh, and so that doesn't mean then that he is limited to being close as we are limited in being close, that he's just here. He, it's a both and. Yeah. He is at the same time ruling the universe and found within the universe. Absolutely. So... How, how, how do you respond if somebody talking about, you know, immutability and um, impassibility? I'm going to throw out some hard questions for you. Here, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I've, uh, I've had a couple sips of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, I mean, there are passages in Scripture yeah. that make God, I mean, seems like he is reacting. So, like, when, when the Israelites, when, Aaron, when they give to Aaron all their gold and he makes a golden calf mm-hmm. and he says, behold your gods who delivered you from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, God's reaction to that seems to be um, seems to go with the ebb and flow right yeah. there, right? He responds by wanting to judge um, Israel and destroy them, and then Moses intercedes. Yeah. Um, how, how can we say God is impassable with passages like that? Yeah, so when we perceive in Scripture what appear to be involuntary reactions of God, where, okay, he didn't see this coming, that's why he reacted so strongly. Right. <laughs> when we see something like that, um, we need to we need to think about what the scriptures tell us about God. So the first thing is to know the difference between a narrative and a different type of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, a narrative is describing, of course, what happened. It's it's a record. It's an account of the uh, events that took place, play by play. Whereas you have other passages like um, we mentioned. I mentioned yesterday the uh, 40s chapters of Isaiah, where Isaiah is describing who God is. He's not giving a narrative of historical events. He's just describing the character and nature of God. So let's know the distinction between those types of passages, first of all. Second of all, as we understand who God is based on the proclamation of his prophets and apostles when we read the New Testament, and then we go back and we read these narratives and say, okay, well, that's not jiving because look at the way he's reacting. Well, let's think about what God might be showing us through that event. The way that God responded to Israel as we read it in the text, what is he demonstrating to us? He's demonstrating his holiness, his justice, his wrath that is perfect in every way. Go go back to Genesis and when he created all things. 
and he said it is good. Okay. Was he reacting involuntarily? Like, whoa, hey, I did a good job there. <laughs> like we might, right? Because right, yeah. uh, I'm we, surprised that turned out so well. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know about you, but I am not naturally good with my hands. I have to really work at it on, on creating things. And so when I make something and I sit back, I'm like, wow, that is pretty good. Okay. Well, God's not responding that way in Genesis, but what are we learning through that? He's demonstrating to us that that creation at that time in Genesis was a reflection of his holiness and his goodness and his justice. And so when he responds the opposite direction with the golden calf incident, he's showing to us that what they were doing is against his holiness and his justice and his perfections. Mm -hmm. So we need to approach the scriptures in the right way, understanding the type of text that it is and seeing what God is teaching us uh, through those events. Mm, Yeah. I think that is a helpful note that you're making there. The narrative is capturing, I mean, this is very much Moses's perspective Mm -hmm. and the people's perspective of what's going on. Yeah. It's capturing that first and foremost. And that doesn't necessarily then grade against what we're being told about God. As, as, as sin comes into the presence of God, we should expect him yes. to have this wrath and this push yes. against it. So it's, it actually does line up when we say God is immutable and he's holy, right? So what's going to happen when idolatry takes place? Yeah. yeah, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. That's something that's been said before. And mm-hmm. so you look at the re- the reactions to the uh, wax and the clay, and it's like, well, the sun is just being so mean to the to the <laughs> clay. It's hardening the clay, you know, or wh- however you want to phrase it. And look what it's doing to the wax. Well, the sun's the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of what's what's before us, uh, the sun is resp- the sun's not even responding <laughs> in this situation. All illustrations break down. But the sun is the same. The sun is unchanging. Mm-hmm. Um, however, those two materials have a different reaction to it and are experiencing the sun differently because of the makeup of those materials. And so when someone is sinning before a holy God, of course that person is going to experience God's wrath and God's judgment. Um, when that person is in rebellion, putting a hand up to God with an unrepentant heart, yet someone who understands in humility their need for God is going to find favor in the eyes of the Lord mm-hmm. with a repentant heart. So. It's not that God's changing in these two situations. He's exactly the same, but the makeup of those events are different. Yeah. Yeah, and and so maybe we could use this time, unless you want to say some more things about the nature of God, we could use this time to kind of segue. Yeah, well, let me just add add two more words as we segue in that are much more graspable words for us. Um, As we think about prayer especially, so we understand God is unchanging, he's immutable. God is not subject to involuntary responses. He's impassable. Let me give you two more words. He is sovereign and good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I think those two words govern so much of the Christian life as we think about the nature and character of God. And I see it so much in the topic of prayer and in so many other things. He is sovereign and good. And that means in his sovereignty, he is both able and he's free. And when we say free, we mean totally free. God is absolutely, totally free. The only thing God is bound by is his own will. That is the definition of freedom. You can't be more free than that. The mm-hmm. only thing he's bound by is his own will. Yeah, because there's no limitations in power. Yeah, yeah that's right. Where I might have the will, yes. I just don't have the power. Yes, so he is totally able, absolutely able, absolutely free. And then when we say that he's good, that means he's right, always right. Mm-hmm. So... These are all important aspects to the nature of God as we approach the topic of prayer, that he's unchanging, 
that he is not subject to human responses mm-hmm. like, of course, we are. He is free and able, and he's always right. Yeah, and those are, that's such a comfort to remember, mm-hmm. right? Because if we're, if, we, if we're talking about his sovereignty, but we leave out his goodness or we doubt his goodness, what a terror it that's exactly right. on earth. Right? And then the flip side, yes, if we think God is good, but he's not free and he's not able, well then, okay, he's just like one of us, yeah. just well-wishing. Yeah, he has really good intentions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, uh, intentions are irrelevant yeah, so right. often, right? <laughs> uh, so, so the combination of being sovereign and good mm-hmm. is a great comfort, and it's a really a bedrock yeah. for everything we believe. Yeah, and, and, and it becomes the bedrock of prayer. I mean, so let's just go back to Moses when he's pleading for Israel in that moment. Yeah. He's actually assuming all the things that you just shared, right? Mm-hmm. He's, in, he's actually, a th- I think, assuming immutability, yep. impassibility, the sovereignty of God, and the goodness of God. Yes. Or else there'd be no reason to go to him. I mean, you'll notice what he prays there. Um, he's actually pointing out, um, okay, don't do this, right? Because then people actually might think things that are untrue of you, mm. that you're not good. Mm-hmm. But I know you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also pointing out the promises that he's given, like, well, but you're, you're unchanging. Yeah. Even in your promises, you're, you're, you're going to keep those things. He's also praying because I realize you're the sovereign one. Like you control all of these yeah. things. And so, and so he's pointing out these, he's making his requests based on what he knows mm-hmm. about God. That he's, he, I mean, he's also not, he's not just, a, you know, like you might have a friend who has an anger problem, right? And you know that once he gets angry, it's like, hey, there's nothing I can do to stop it now. Mm-hmm. But he actually, I mean, this heinous sin that is just so blatant, just so terrible, um, he's able to go before God and realize you're not subject to the ebb and flow of passion like I am. Yes. I can actually pray to you, and you you won't destroy these people. Yeah. So, I mean, he's assuming all of those things. So it, they have to inform our prayer life. Yes. And at the same time, he wasn't twisting God's arm. Nope. <laughs> you know, of course, using the, the phrase, the uh, idiom, or however we want to describe that, uh, God doesn't have an arm. It's a twist, anyway. <laughs> right. uh, he's without body or parts, but uh, but he wasn't manipulating God in that moment. God mm-hmm. wasn't dead set on doing this, but you know what? Moses made a good case, so I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna pivot. He hemmed me in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, because uh, again, God is the create creator of all things. I mean, He created time itself. Mm-hmm. He's not subject to the sequence of events as we are, and yet here He is in the sequence of events at the same time, he has manifested himself to us in time, and he uses the means of prayer to accomplish his ends. And in a narrative, we read that, and it looks like, oh, man, um, wow, we can really change God's mind. Mm. But he's not changing his mind. However, the means of prayer is what is used by God to accomplish his ends by putting it within the heart of Moses to even pray to him in the first place. That's right, yeah. And and through that event, we see the mercy of God. We see the patience of God. He's teaching us so much about himself through all of that, where um, it's not that Moses was able to manipulate God. It's that God used Moses to accomplish his ends. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good word. So let's throw out a definition of prayer. I've got one. And we can, maybe can add to it if we want. But I, I like to keep it simple, right? That prayer um, uh, is an exercise of faith. Now, we can obviously fill mm-hmm. that out. We need, to, we need to fill it out more. But at its basic level, that's just where I want us to start with this understanding. Because we're, we're, we're hearing from God about who he is, even just these things that we just spoke about. And so prayer 
is hearing those things and then believing those things. And faith is not just an intellectual exercise where it's like, oh, okay, I believe God's impassable, right. immutable, sovereign, good, yes. great, okay, I'm done. It actually leads me to do something then. Yeah. So prayer is the exercising of that faith yeah. that we have in who God is. Yeah, it made, made me immediately think of James 1. Um, of course, James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But it's conditioned in verse 6. But he must a- must ask in faith mm. without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Mm. So, yeah, as we approach God to bring to him our praises, our petitions, whatever it may be, it has to be done in faith. If it's not done from faith, then what are we doing? We're just we're just speaking to the wind, right? Yeah. So if so, since prayer is this exercising of faith, why do you think it is so hard to pray? Hmm. Well, Jesus gave us an illustration, um, a parable in Luke eighteen about the persistent widow who kept going to the judge mm-hmm. day by day bothering him, annoying him. And the judge finally gave in. <laughs> and of course, the point of the parable is that uh, not that God is evil and wicked like the judge who refused to deliver justice to this widow, but that this woman had a heart of faith in so much as that she just kept coming back day by day, not seeing any results. And she came back. And, and I love how Jesus ends that parable. He tells the story, and then he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's his question that he leaves him with. Mm-hmm. So it does take faith to pray. And so many of us, even though we've all received a measure of faith from God, Romans 12 verse 3 says, we all in many areas lack faith. And we do feel like we're just speaking to the wind. And because it kind of feeds into each other. Because then when we pray lacking faith, we are just kind of speaking to the wind. Right, yeah. And so we, we feel like, you know, our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, whatever it is, and it's just not—nothing's really connecting mm-hmm. because we're lacking that faith and that confidence that God gives us. And, uh, boy, I think, especially in these times, we need to have more faith in the church, more faith. And I'm and I, not talking about the initial saving faith even though that's obviously critical right. and important. But it's the day-by-day living your life as a Christian, even though you have that belief that God used to cause you to be born again, right? Day-by-day, um, day, are you living a life of faith? Are you mm-hmm. believing that God really is at work in your life? Are you believing that God is really using you to reach people and to do things and to accomplish His ends? Are you believing that God is in you and all around you? 24 7 365 that type of faith is so needed and and we can get so off kilter in the church and then we don't pray yeah yeah i I think that's exactly right it is a struggle of faith it's a lack of faith that leads us not to pray right because we end up saying things like what good is it yeah um i mean i don't i'm not convinced that god hears i'm not convinced that god cares um i think that my time is better spent doing other things. So it's actually, right, even even if we're not thinking this way, 
we can function this way. I'm putting my faith in doing this instead of speaking to God. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might be really good things that you're putting your faith into. Yeah. um, But it's not putting your faith in who God is and who he's revealed himself to be. So the answer, and you're, you're hitting on the answer here, I think. Um, And this is, I mean, this is when I'm talking to somebody who's struggling in prayer, this is one of the things I want to impress on them. Uh, So maybe that's you right now. You're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, I haven't prayed in a week. Um, Mm -hmm. Or not like not really pray. Uh, I guess you know because we pray at meals. Yeah, pray at meals. Or like (laughs) you know, I'm in. You hit that traffic jam. It's like, oh Lord, let this clear up quick, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like actually having a set aside time where you are being uh, going before God to commune with Him by speaking to Him and even being silent before Mm -hmm. Him. Right, having that special time right there. You might be saying like, it's been a week since I've had that. Maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. And and what I want to impress upon you, if that's you, is to say. The solution is not finding new prayer techniques. The solution is not a prayer journal. The solution is not an app on your phone. The solution is not gritting your teeth and just saying, okay, I'm just going to do it. The solution is actually believing God. That's, that's the first thing that has to happen. Uh-huh. And, and part of that is just us saying, uh, just recognizing like the reason I struggle with prayer is because I lack faith Yeah, and I lack faith because I'm a sinner. And, and once you get that part figured out, there are certainly helps in the Christian oh, absolutely. life. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We need those helps too. Yes. Just, those come second. Yes, yes, that's right. If you try to start there, you're going to end up in the same place. Yes. <laughs> After, you know, 13 days of trying <laughs> right. really yes. hard. But yeah, it, it has to start with faith before any of the other stuff will work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, like you could, lay, you could lay all the exercise books you want in front of me. Yeah. But until I actually believe that I need to exercise for my good, mm-hmm. right, I'm not going to do it. Well, one of the first men who ever mentored me, one of my best friends in high school, his father, um, I became a Christian at age 16, and he was talking to me about prayer once and saying how he viewed prayer as just, he just talks to God all day. It's just a conversation with God all day. He didn't have any sort of tricks for praying. It was Mm -hmm. just, I'm just talking to God all day. And that's what he did. I mean, he is a man of prayer because he is a man of great faith. I mean, you you can't have a conversation with God all day if you're doubting that God is right there with you and in you, beside you, through you all day. Mm-hmm. And and that's the way he lived his life. Yeah. And I'd imagine this is, so the next thing I want to say is, it's partly true of him, right? Because if we're saying that the reason we struggle in prayer is we lack faith, right? What do we need? It makes me think of, you know, Romans 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing mm-hmm. and hearing through the word of Christ. What we need is to hear the word because, because this is, this is where we learn about God, um, where our faith is strengthened in who God is. I mean, even just this conversation, right, that we were having a few minutes ago talking about the impassibility immutability, the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Those, that's not our wish list of who God is. That's not us sitting down and saying, ah, okay, what kind of God does there need to be if I want to make people pray? That's not how we, we went about this, right? right? That, that has come, as you said earlier, right? Like these these terms, we didn't even come up with these terms. This has been the church studying the word now for thousands of years. And we are helped by looking at their study and we can say, yeah. this is what's true about God. Oh, so it makes sense yeah. why he says we should pray. Yes. And so if we want to have this same kind of faith, it's not just hearing us to find those terms. You need to go to the word and hear who God is, meditate on who God is, and then take Take what you're hearing about God. Um, I'm going to butcher a J.I. Packer quote, right? We, 
prayer is we take what we hear about God so that we can meditate on what we hear about God and turn it into prayer mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. That's that's one of the first steps that what, what we need to do to build up our faith so that we pray. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, we each week I uh, send out an email um, to our church family, and I at the start of the email I do a devotional thought on one of our core values. We have five core values. And this week it was the core value of we prioritize prayer in this life as we live for the next. Mm -hmm. That's one of our core values. And uh, I'll just read this devotional, a couple paragraphs here, and um, maybe we can start to get more of the application of these mm -hmm. things. So I, I wrote, as I spoke with a friend recently, I made reference to my intercessory prayer for him as measly. <laughs> After all, it didn't feel very powerful. I thought about his situation, made some requests to God about it, and then continued to go about my business. However, as is common with regard to many things I say, I started to question the theological accuracy of my words. <laughs> Was measly really the right adjective to use? And in short, no, no it wasn't. The act of bringing our requests to God is always a special divine encounter. We're offering up to the creator of all things a petition that weighs on our hearts. We're laying before the everlasting God a pressing issue that only he could truly both sovereignly, he could address both sovereignly and rightly. We're interceding for others who desire our participation in calling on the Lord to act on their behalf. Even if our prayer is just a sentence or two, if it is from the heart of a child of God, it is mighty. Your prayers are not measly. Your prayers are heard and used by God for his glory and our good. And uh, that's so hard for us to grasp because we do, on the one hand, lack faith, and on the other hand, we feel like, who are we that we should be praying? Right. Or what was this thing I just uttered out? I mean, I, that was a run-on sentence. I misspoke. <laughs> like... I, that's God's not going to use that. Mm. But as we approach God in prayer, if we are his children, if we've been redeemed, if we've been brought into the family and we are his, we are truly children of the king, then every time we offer up to God a prayer in the form of petition, request, thanksgiving, mm. whatever it is, it is a powerful thing, even if you feel measly. Yes. Yeah. And this is, this is where our faith needs to be built up. Um, I mean, it's, because we can feel measly, and uh, and if we think, oh, I, I have to have, if I have a wrong thinking about God and and who I am in Christ, then I'm going to be scared to pray, or I think I'm going to have to make this perfect, right? But uh, he, here's here's a line. This is after Jesus is raised from the dead, um, and he tells Mary to go to the disciples after after he appears to her, and he says, uh, "Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them." I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. One of the remarkable things about prayer is that you're not coming just in yourself, that we actually are coming now that we are in the Son by faith, we come as God's children. Mm -hmm. You come as a child before God, before a loving Father then. So j just as like I, I find these analogies really helpful when I'm thinking about prayer, it's it's to consider the you know my own kids yeah and to think how do I want them thinking about me when they come to me mm -hmm. to speak and then honestly how do they just speak to me when they come to me yeah right? they are not caught up in formalities at all yeah. right? sometimes I wish they were a little bit more maybe um but hmm. but you know when they come to me they are letting their hearts be known when they you know the other day 
Uh, my son was out playing, and one of the neighborhood kids really hurt his feelings. And so when he came in, right, he didn't walk in and say, Dad, I'm having trouble with my heart right now, and I just, uh, just need to talk about it. No, he came in weeping mm. and just fell right into my arms, stuttering, like just you know, yeah. stuttering out why he was hurt, uh, why he was sad, and what is my attitude toward him as a loving father? I embrace him. I'm patient. I listen. And then I on a uh, good day. Yeah, on a good day. Yes, on a good day. I'm a really good dad. So, um, um, yeah, on a good day. Uh, on the days that I'm reflecting, you know, Heavenly Father. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, like, but that's our attitude. And mm-hmm. and so part of this again is hearing with like we prayer is an exercise of faith. We have to know who God is and our relation to Him yeah. in Jesus Christ. And and, and so again, uh, we. I mean, maybe we could do a segue here for a second. I mean, we need to remember. That it's by faith in Christ that we have this intimate communion with God that is just ours yeah. we're taking now. Um, now, outside of Christ, it is much different because an unbeliever can't do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, the parent-child relationship is the perfect illustration for this. And uh, <laughs> recently we've been working with our oldest. Um, he has gotten into the habit of, he was born with the habit of uh, <laughs> just, you know, running into a room and just shouting what he wants to, to talk, to say to anybody, not walking into a room, seeing if it's the appropriate time to speak or not. Yeah. I mean, so, so manners is what this is. Yes. We're, we're, we're yeah, teaching yeah. him manners. And, and as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how there are some people who approach God in prayer as, well, he, he really minds our manners. He wants, he wants us to mind our manners mm. and to speak formally, um, which means Elizabethan English for whatever reason, you know, speak it, pray in King James. He, mm-hmm. he won't hear you otherwise. Right. Um, and if, if you do, that's absolutely fine, but don't require it of other people. So I, I'm just, I'm thinking through this, how for our children, we do teach them manners mm-hmm. in this. Okay. You can't just walk into a room shouting what you want. Yet when we go to God that way, it, it is, it is different in that he, is always available. He's always ready. You don't have to go to God and analyze the room. He's, and this is just an amazing thought for his children. He's always sitting there waiting for, for Mm -hmm. you to approach him. It makes me think of Hebrews as you were talking about Jesus going to the father. Um, The book of Hebrews and the end of chapter four, it tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive help in the time of need. Mm -hmm. And then just a few chapters later, Chapter 7, verse 25, it tells us that Jesus always lives for us to make intercession for us. That is why Jesus has ascended. He's, he made purification for sins. This is back Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he always lives to make intercession for his mm. people. So if there ever was a chance that we could mess up a prayer by our manners, approaching God, the, you know, and, uh, interrupting, you know, or whatever, if that thought is in your mind and you can't wrap your mind around God is just sitting there ready, have this condition, all of that, by understanding that your high priest, Jesus Christ, is right there covering all of your shortcomings, covering all of your failings, all of your faults, and he is the one who really makes your prayers powerful because he's advocating for you in your prayers. Right. Yeah. Amen. Well, that was a good show. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes sometimes there are notes that you're just like, well, we should just end on that, right? Because, I mean, that, that is so rich that we have to consider that. And and again, right, there, there's just, there is an importance to this, if you're listening to this, to, to say, I don't just want to hear that once. You need to meditate on that. 
You need to meditate on that reality of who Jesus Christ is for you and how that changes your relationship yeah. to God. I mean, because even as you're saying that, right, so we can just keep uh, going back and forth on this. You just made me think of First John chapter one mm-hmm. or chapter two. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, um, where you know I, th- I think one of the lies that gets in our head all the time is if if I don't sin, then I'm missing out on something really good. That's what the enemy tells us. If if you know, if I don't commit the sin here, then I'm actually missing out on something really good. And then when we commit that sin, there's the accompanying lie of the enemy. Where the enemy says, now you're condemned. Now you're not good enough. Now you're not good enough. You're done. But when we read 1 John chapter 1 and then going into chapter 2, we actually we get to get a new narrative here because God is telling us the exact opposite. He's actually saying, don't sin because when you sin, you miss out on something really good. Mm-hmm. But then when you do sin, yeah. he has the opposite thing where he says, um, he says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now this is this is astounding to hear that Jesus is your advocate when you sin. So that when you sin and you're going before the Father in confession, right? Because you need to go in confession when we sin. This is part of our prayers. We know we can go in there and Jesus Christ is acting as your attorney, mm-hmm. stepping up for you, not there to condemn you, not there to say over you, yeah, you know I did die for you, right? No. So why are you doing these things? Mm-hmm. He actually steps in and he says, "You know I did die for you, right?" Yeah, and that's so you don't need to suffer for these is things. Is that maybe the next verse? It two, is. Two, yes. Two? Yes. I mean, two, two. Goes... He is the propitiation for our sins. Yeah. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, right? Yeah. So it is. It is this really rich safety that when you come in Christ, even when we are making a confession of our sins. Um, we we have this safety with the father and and, and you know that that brings me to, to think of something else that i try and tell people when when they're struggling with prayer I, I you know there's a feeling of lack of intimacy that people have and i think one reason that we lack intimacy with god right it, it is it is couched in this we lack faith um but it's because we lack honesty with god um now i don't mean that as like we should just go and if you're angry at God, you're never excused to be angry at God. Mm-hmm. But we do have this freedom, um, just as my children do, right? Uh, when they come to me and they think I'm being unfair, mm-hmm. and they say, "I think you're being unfair," right? Like, like that's they can say it in a way that maybe is maybe bordering on accusation. And I we shouldn't accuse God. But then right. again, then again, you read the Psalms, and where are you, God? Yeah, where are you, God? How how long will you delay? Yes. Um, Where's my comfort? Yeah. Will you abandon me forever? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, it's not, I feel like you abandoned me. Yeah. It's you've abandoned me. Are you going to do that forever now? Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. So there is, there is a type of intimacy that grows with God as we are just fully making our hearts known. And one reason we can do that is because he already knows everything in your heart. Yeah, that's right. He already knows all those thoughts. And because he is the sovereign God, he has ordained your situation. Yes. So you're not bringing to him anything he doesn't already know. You're presenting to him what he already has absolute, infinite knowledge of. Mm-hmm. But then that that is a two-edged sword because then you say, okay, well, if that's the case, then why pray at all? Ah, uh, yes. And I think that is 
one of the most common, that's probably a top three common response to, uh, you know, why should we pray? Well, what difference does it make? If God is so involved, if he has ordained these things, and if he is so knowledgeable, why even pray? What's our answer to that? Well, you actually hit on the answer to that earlier, Jeremy, when you were speaking of how Moses wasn't, you know, um, hemming God in with that statement. But this was God's means uh, prayer is God's means of bringing about what he's ordained to bring about. Yes. So we, he, he makes us active participants. And again, we're that, so I may throw out another objection because I say that, right? And somebody could say, so what, we're just pawns in this game? No, not at all. Because what God actually does, I mean, so prayer is not just an activity. We often think of it as just an activity. And then if I think of it just as an activity and I think of God being sovereign and then I think, well, he's just using me as a means. What's the whole point of this? We are forgetting the fact that God is a personal being and he's made you as a personal being. And so prayer is about knowing God, having this communion with God, this relationship with God, this intimacy with God so that when, even though, right, we could say, yes, he's sovereign in all things and he's ordained this prayer of mind to be what he's going to do to mm-hmm. to, to fulfill this certain thing in the mm-hmm. world what a pleasure it is that i get to commune with god again it's something it's something like this 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 analogy breaks down but it's something like this that if i am doing a repair at the house and my four-year-old son is helping me guess what i don't need him to help me mm-hmm. it's actually kind of complicates things to have him help me but i want him to help me i want him there with me because he wants to be there with me and therefore, when we're doing this together and I'm giving him jobs to do to bring about this end that I am working to bring about, that I am really bringing to the end, right? We're there together and we have this relationship. We have this fellowship. We have this communion. Yeah. Sweet and good. God wants to know you. Yes. And he wants to be known by you. Now, as we think about God using means to accomplish his ends, I want to focus because I want people to get this point that prayer is not pointless. And... um Let's focus on a different area of the Christian life, and I'm going to ask you a couple of theological questions here. Uh-oh. Well, I'm at this throwing back at you, Jim. No, 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 you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> when, when Jesus came and died and rose again, was it absolutely certain, absolutely certain, like 0% chance otherwise, that his church would be built from that point forward, that people in every generation would come to faith? Absolutely. Okay. Does God ever save anyone apart from the human proclamation of the gospel? Well, I shouldn't say ever, but has God ordained any other common means of people being saved than by the human proclamation of the gospel? No, that's the means. Okay, so now let me clarify these things. No, that's good. Yeah, keep going. As As we think about evangelism, it's not like Jesus came finished the work and then said, well, it's up to you guys. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen now. I'm hands off. <laughs> we'll just see what happens. No, he's like just not hands off. He's rubbing his hands together like, oh boy, I hope this works out. I hope this works out. I, I, I hope they take that ball and run with it. You know, that is not what happened. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Mm-hmm. It was an absolutely certain thunderous authoritative statement. Yet at the same time, the spread of the gospel, conversions of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are dependent on his people going out and taking the gospel to them. Absolutely. That is his means. This is Romans 10. How will they hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ that you read earlier. Mm-hmm. That is the, the design that God has for growing his church. 
And so it's a both and, Mm -hmm. not an either or. God uses the means of the human proclamation of the gospel to save people, and that is certainly going to happen. God uses the means of human prayers to accomplish his ends in the world, and that is certainly going to happen. But both means are necessary, and there is a responsibility on us to do that and a joy and a privilege that's in that. It's all true. It's not either or. Yeah. Yeah, that's really well said. And, you know, I I wonder, why, why do you think that is, that like that concept right there? Like, we get that. We hear like, oh, yeah, if that person's going to believe, they have to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. And God has given me the gospel, so I'm going to go share the good news that God the Son took on flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, died a death for sin, rose again, and now has commanded that if you trust in him alone for salvation, come to him as Lord, then you'll be forgiven and you can have life with God eternally and escape from hell that you richly deserve because of your sin. We hear that and we're like, yeah, I have to go tell somebody Mm -hmm. that. We get that I am the means of this person hearing the gospel, but we don't get oftentimes that my prayers to God are the means of that person having faith to believe the gospel. Why do you think, why why do we see that disconnect? Well, we are so limited as creatures. We know one existence, the creaturely existence. (laughs) (laughs) And when you think about God sovereignly working in the world, we have we have to leave our existence to start wrapping our mind around what God is doing and how God does it. And and we have to confess too, we can't absolutely know how God do, does these things. We can just know what he has revealed to us about how he does these things. There's great mystery in this. This is the divine sovereignty human responsibility mystery. Yeah, yeah. And we have to confess mystery at the end of the day. But um we can find a resting place in the both and aspect of this. Mm-hmm. And and as it's counterintuitive to us because we live in either or existence, but God going back to he's both transcendent and imminent. It's a both and not an either or. Mm. And we just have to embrace that reality as foreign as it is to us. Yeah. Well, this has been a really good discussion. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably time to wrap up because we got a couple minutes left here. But resources at, uh, that, that we want to give give some resources before we. Yeah, end. and let's start with the most important one. Yeah. Um, because um, we're talking about means here. So, prayer is the means, right? That God has ordained that things would come about that we actually get to interact in the things that He's doing as He leads us to pray. Um, sharing the gospel is the means that God uses to bring somebody to faith. But once you come to faith, right, and even how you learn to obey Jesus and all of his commands. Mm -hmm. God has a means for that too. Mm -hmm. And that's the local church. That's it. So hearing all these things today, right? um, I'm really glad we get to do this radio show and I'm really thankful for key radio. But if key radio is all you're doing to know about God, then that is insufficient. It's actually not going with the means that God has provided. And that's one of their core values. It their, is, their core yes. values is the emphasis on the local church. Yes. They would, if Mike and Heather were here, they would be in hearty agreement. Yes, absolutely. So as you're hearing all this and you're thinking, yes, I really want to learn how to pray more, come join a local church, be part of a local body. You can do that at uh, Orchard Hills Bible Church in or, Payson. Yep, or Christ Fellowship Church in Lehigh. Um, what's, what's your website? OHBC Payson. Dot com, or you could just go to orchardhillsbiblechurch.com. That's a lot to type. Okay. But just Google Orchard Hills Bible Church Payson. Great. Yeah, and you could do uh, the same to find our website, um, just Christ Fellowship Church Lehigh. We should come up. Or you can go to ChristFellowshipChurchUtah.org. Um, also, just a quick announcement. I've been, I meant to announce this the past couple days, but oh. uh, we have Kids Camp coming up for Christ Fellowship Church in Lehigh. It's going to be July 12th through the 16th. 
to bring out your kids so they can uh, learn about stories about the Bible, have fun together. Um, yeah, for more information on that, check out our Facebook page, Christ Fellowship Church Lehigh. Good. couple resources real quick. How much time, Grant? Okay. Go. So um, what's the book you mentioned yesterday as we talked about Enjoy this? Enjoy Your Prayer Life by Michael Reeves. Okay. Michael Reeves, Enjoy Your Prayer Life. And you told me that's about a two-hour read? Even less, okay. I think. Good. If you're if you're a really slow reader, like really, really slow, it could take you two hours to read. Okay, So good. it's a great resource to get something real quick. We both also like A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Mm-hmm. It's another good book. It's a longer book. It it'll is, it'll it take you time. Yeah. And then a book that I use to actually help me pray is Face to Face by Kenneth Boa. Mm. Face to Face, uh, It's the subtitle is Praying the Scriptures for Intimate Worship. Face to Face by Kenneth Boa. That's great. I'll have to check that out. I haven't heard that before. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We hope that you have a blessed day serving the King. We'll see you tomorrow.